2: Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the brand new pitch of the podcast. Nice, shiny, beautifully mown, And I'm joined by the brand new pitch of the podcast, Joe Hill. Definitely better than the old one. (laughs) And finally, the brand new pitch of the podcast. Actually, it's quite slippy and everyone's falling over. It's Darren
0: Driver. Darren, how are you doing? I'm all right, mate. Yeah. Um. To be to be fair, I've kind of long prided myself on being slippy and hard to pin down. So that that one that one works for me quite well, to be honest. And you are beautifully mown today. I notice you looking very fresh up top there. So that's uh, that's very good. <laughs>
2: One thing I love about you, Darren, is your ability to be optimistic about you know even a bad situation. So <laughs> if, you're, if you're finding my put downs at the end of the intro to be uh, complimentary, then I'm really doing my job badly. So I will I will do better next week. I promise.
0: Just me evidencing being slippy there. That's all that is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Joe Hill, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I think it's been the it's the perfect analogy this week because I've also had a fresh lockdown haircut from my girlfriend. Mm. Um, so I do feel like a brand new pitch as well. So. uh the analogies work perfectly for the three of us this week.
2: Is that a cause of, of any consternation in your relationship, the, the haircut? Because I know a lot of people kind of feel very precious about the hair. I do my dad's hair at the moment and, and my mum gets very, very uh, uptight when I do that. So do you have the same sort of tension in your in your household?
1: You've got to be careful, you know, it's, it can easily cause some tension, but uh, mm. luckily I'm not really going out and leaving the house at all, so I just said, <laughs> do whatever you want and uh, it was all fine, luckily.
0: I was enjoying the Tim Burton lucky was were spotting last week, I was, I was yeah. hoping <laughs> to see that again. It was pretty
1: ridiculous, wasn't it?
2: <laughs> but how good is the Nike swish that he's now got yeah. on the side of his head? So it's <laughs> incredible. I wish you could all see it. <laughs> Well, let's begin as we always do. I've almost forgotten the last game; it feels so long ago now. We usually do it the day after, don't we? But we've we've given ourselves a bit of a, a bit of time to actually watch the game back and uh, and take our time. Um, so it will be, a, a, I suppose, a bit of a muted. How did that feel? Um, but let's start with you, Darren. How did how did the Everton loss feel to you?
0: Yeah, I was I was really frustrated at half um because I felt I felt that Everton. Had, this didn't bear out on the rewatch, actually, but but at the time of the match, I felt that it had really kind of, that Everton had really upped their kind of effort, that they were playing to a much different plan, that they were pressing much higher than than I anticipated, um, and that that we'd kind of given away two stupid goals, and and but other than that, massive, you know, kind of really been in control, um, and then I was just sort of had that kind of fan pride of the second half, cause cause. They fought to a valiant, a valiant defeat in the end, and um, and again that doesn't it, it kind of doesn't really bear out on the rewatch. Um, my initial feelings it completely changed having having rewatched the game, but but on the day I suppose I came away feeling not too bad because Everton, you know, although they're I don't think they're a brilliant side, I don't think they're they're you know kind of gonna really do any massive damage this year they are about where we'd want to be in the next couple of years and that they're pushing for the top six um and and actually what what it shows over the course of the two games that we've played them in is that we're kind of not that far away from their level all things being equal um so I, i suppose i feel i feel kind of yeah relatively kind of happy with 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 things, you know, in the end, although defeat's is always difficult to take. Um, I, I feel fine about it in the end, I think. How about you, Joe? How do you feel about the game? Yeah, f- fairly similar
1: to Darren, to be honest. I think when it was 1-0, I was thinking if we take this into half-time at 1-0, you know, I'm not too unhappy. I don't think we've played that badly, actually. Um, and then they scored the second and, you know, it's a bit disappointing at half-time. But to get back s- straight back into it after after the second half starts... You know, within five minutes, I was really thinking that this is there. This is there for us. So even the win, you know, could be there because I felt like we were really on top in the second half. And it's probably disappointing not to get a point. But then I always try and see it in context as well. And I sort of look at the, the next game. And obviously Crystal Palace at home on Monday now, and I think you know what if we if we get a win there, then the Everton game is going to seem absolutely fine. You know, it's going to be nothing. So I think in context, it's it's not too bad really, and I don't feel too down about
0: it. I think for for, for me the the biggest disappointment coming from the Everton game is that that although we had a lot of kind of territorial dominance and although we we you know we had a lot of the ball and stuff I don't actually think we hurt them often enough so apart from that little flurry where where their keeper makes you know two or three good saves in 10 seconds and the goal after that really it's very very slim pickings and I think that's that's the biggest disappointment, but also for me the biggest worry going forward is that although we are, you know, starting to 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 demonstrate some control of games similar to what we've seen in the past, it's not coming alongside the kind of creativity and an ability to actually make big chances like it has done in the past. So there's, a, I think, there's a there's a kind of slight note of concern there for me as well.
2: We had quite a few questions about that. And I think it seems like a good place to to ask them now. So Richard Lang says, first half, why was our intensity off? Losing one too many one to one battles all over the pitch, um, leaving ourselves a second half mountain to climb. Tactically, nothing seemed to change until the late Everton substitutions. Tom Bedford said, What was wrong in the first half and what did we do better in the second? Strack was really good again. Rafini continues to be brilliant and I thought Click had a good game as well. Bamford is also brilliant. 16 com- goal contributions now. Uh, Mike Turetsky said, Great second half performance. Do the stats this season show how we have been a better first that we've been a better first half or second half team this season. I'll go straight to you, Darren, because you've done you've looked a little bit at the first half, second half uh, performances this season.
0: Yeah, so I, I guess um, the the stats do kind of bear out that that we are kind of better a better second half team. That that if based on second half results only would be eighth in the league, and based on first half results only would be sixteenth in the league based on the Everton game i felt that basically the, the main difference in the first half and the second half is that in the in the second half particularly at the start of the second half we got much tighter to to our markers than we were in the first half so our press was much more intense and much more what, what we've been used to seeing under Bielsa whereas I think in the first half we kind of tried to manage the game with, with, a, with a slightly more reserved press as we had done against Leicester and I think that was kind of the primary difference is that in the second half we weren't allowing Everton players and their, their back players and, and, and Gomez to, to kind of take, take a touch and look for a pass that we were straight on them and we were much more aggressive into the second balls I thought so I, I don't think there were any tactical differences in the, in the sense of the shape or anything like that. I just think there was a a different level of intensity to the press and a a different level of commitment to, to being there for the second ball.
2: There's a couple of things that you 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 should probably you could probably say are the reason why we are stronger in the second half, and I think one of them is is simply the fitness levels and uh, and the fact that you know we the the Leeds team is just so um far ahead of a lot of other teams in terms of their intensity um and we see that in games a lot I think the other thing is is that we are a team who gets a lot of their edge from tactics from from bielsa. And so I think the difference between the first half and the second half is that they have 15 minutes for Bielsa to come in and say, here's what we need to do differently. Um, and I think those, those often um, result in us coming out and being slightly better. I, I don't think there's many better managers for just being able to assess a game uh, in real time and and then go in at half-time and, and break it down and say, here's what we can do differently, here's, here's ways we can solve some of these problems.
0: Absolutely, and I was just going to just come back on that fitness point, John, because something you see quite a lot on, on Twitter, if you if you happen to look at the timeline during the game, is during the first half, you'll see lots of, lots of people posting and saying things like, I thought we were supposed to be really fit, they look just as fit as we are, blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff in the first half of games. And I think that what we need to remember is that you can't actually assess... Our relative levels of fitness compared to the opposition until the last twenty minutes, in most cases, and and in the vast majority of cases, we have absolutely run the arse off, and by the last ten minutes of the game, um, so I think that is just something to look out for in future.
2: Another thing to mention, perhaps, is that, for example, in the Everton game, we were two nil down at half time, uh, and Everton definitely are a team who who try and slow games down once they get ahead, and and they sit back a bit. So they did drop into a into a low block in the second half more Um, and I think as a result of that you you tend to look a little bit more impressive um, because you know your build-up phase is not quite so risky because you you know you can move into that final third without too much opposition and uh, I think because I guess we've lost a lot more games this season than we did last season so as a result of that I think we'll probably will look a little bit more dangerous in second halves when we when we sort of have to go for it, and um, and that's that. Uh, but I do think there is. Uh, I'll bring you in, Joe. I don't know if you have any takes on this, but it does does feel to me inst- instinctively like we are a little bit off the pace in the, at the beginning of games. It does feel it felt like against Everton that we were all, again. We talk about this all the time, but losing the ball in transitional phases when we're attacking and then having to deal with the defensive transition as well. Um, what do you make of the this whole first half, second half difference?
1: I mean, I absolutely agree with what what you both are saying. I think it takes a while for for Leeds to figure teams out. And we often take the first 15 minutes just to sort of figure out their formation and figure out tactically what we're going to do. And those are often the times that the opposition will press, you know, even if they're going to sit in a low block for most of the game they'll occasionally they'll say, right, first fifteen, get in their faces and try and nick a goal or whatever, you know. That's the classic sort of opposition behaviour. And I think we saw it against Man United where the first couple of minutes we got really caught out because you could tell that, you know, they'd all been really G'd up and that the whole build up around the game, they were all buzzing to play basically and, and as soon as the first whistle goes, they all fly forward and then we we're two nil down within a few minutes. So I think I think you know maybe it's after that game that we're trying to combat that type of behavior, and maybe that was just a one off unrelated but yeah, I think i think i I do totally agree with what you're saying in that first half we're just trying to figure teams out really, and I think if we don't concede those two sloppy goals and it's nil nil at half time then people look back on it and say actually we've not had such a bad first half at all because personally when I was watching I mentioned this earlier I didn't feel that it was a bad first half at all really I think it was just you know two sloppy goals and then suddenly the games changed so yeah, I think I think that's that's sort of how I see it, and I don't really have a problem with it because it's nice to see us come out in the second half flying, and you know get get more goals in the second half. It's quite exciting.
0: Absolutely, I, I think one of the things that I found a bit frustrating on the on the rewatch is that. Everton's high press that, that I was kind of noticed, that I thought I'd noticed on the day actually lasted for six minutes. They pressed high for six minutes and then they, then they started to fall back into middle and low blocks. And actually at the point at which they took the lead, we'd actually really just taken control of the game for the first time and were starting to dominate and, the, and I thought the pattern of the game was going to be set from there. So I think that's the frustrating thing for me is that we didn't give up the goal in Everton's flurry. We gave it up after their flurry once we'd taken control. So that, that, I guess that's why it feels frustrating.
2: I do think that there is a tendency for that sort of thing to happen but again like we need to talk let's let's move on to the questions because again thank you for all your questions we had again too many good ones to fit them all in so do bear with us but we had a couple of tongue in cheek questions about the new pitch but that first goal did come from Jack Harrison slipping. And causing a defensive transition, which which they, which they scored from. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the, the the new pitch. I was watching the game back this morning and was tempted to actually count how many slips there were, but they actually I got to ten and got bored, uh, and I was still in the first half. So there was a lot of slips <laughs> happening. Um, so Neil Maltby says slips per ninety. So if we say like probably about twelve. I reckon in the first half, so I reckon probably about 24 per 90, which is pretty yeah. good, pretty good
0: going. <laughs> that's elite level.
2: That's elite level. That is elite <laughs> level slips per 90, yeah. That's, that is that is going to probably win you the league if you can continue at that rate. <laughs> Keelan PP said, is there such a stat as XS, expected slippage? Is this new pitch any better than the last one? What was a better January signing, Kiko, JKO or this pitch? So
0: Dan James for me, it's Dan James for me. <laughs> <That's a laughs> yeah. Change,
2: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the pitch that never was um, but yeah let's talk a little bit about this um, what did you guys make of the of the pitch Joe how did you feel about the pitch
1: all in all I think I was quite grateful to have the new pitch because it seemed like the old one was causing so many problems and you know even with the slippiness I think this was probably a bit better Um you know, I don't know the first thing about grass and bedding in and all that stuff, um, <laughs> as uh, I'm sure not many people do. We can't
2: all be experts on my level, let's be honest. <laughs> uh, all of those courses I've <laughs> taken.
1: <laughs> but um, yeah, d- despite that, it you know, from what people were saying, and it seems like it just needs a bit of time um, to, to get used to it. And it had been s- heavily snowing in Yorkshire, I know that, and um you know, that can't have affected it well either. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see it. Um, I'm glad to see the new pitch. And hopefully if there's some nicer weather over the weekend, um, then it'll be all right on Monday. Although I don't think there is meant to be nicer weather over the weekend. So we'll see.
2: This is all caveated by none of us have a clue what we're talking about but it did seem to me that looking, I did, I did spend some time looking at the grass on the rewatch and it, it, it does. I, I actually went back and compared it to previous games and the pitch did look a little bit longer than usual. Um, whether or not that's because they aren't allowed to mow it properly until it's properly bedded in. I don't know, um, but it, it was slightly longer and I wondered whether or not because of that and the, and, and the, the weather it's sort of, it, and it being a new pitch, it, it probably all contributed to the slippiness. So I, I guess we'll wait and see on on Monday um, how how things have changed. But we did have a, a question sort of touching on what sort of impact it has from Noel Butler, who said passing stats on tonight's new pitch versus the last home game. And again, Darren, you you did the research into this. So what did you find?
0: So yeah, basically, I found I suppose it's difficult to to say conclusively whether it made made an enormous difference. Um, the the total passing completion goes up by you know a percent and a half, um, but. But to caveat that, we also attempted fewer passes, so I think we were we were playing a bit more directly against Everton than we were against against Brighton. But yeah, I think I think it's I would say it's inconclusive at this point. I don't think you can draw any firm conclusions from from what's there, apart from a, what what looks to be a, a kind of marginal marginal rise in pass completion.
2: Yeah, and I think the passing when you're talking about passing, right? Like, yeah, okay. The the poor pitch maybe would have stopped passing being quite so good. It it certainly didn't stop us attempting as many passes and the the completion rate was like you say fairly comparable but I do think that the the, the stats that I think I mean you probably would struggle to find these sorts of stats but uh, maybe maybe ball turnovers um, and looking at because there's a few times I think where where we were losing control of the ball because the ball was getting caught up in the pitch and I think that's you know that that's the sort of intangibles that you can't really find in stats because if, if you are slightly slow on the ball or if your touch isn't quite right, then you're, you're going to be slowing down the the, the, the the progression of the ball and stuff like that. So I, I do I do think that it, it's interesting that the passing stats are basically the same, but I do think there are other areas you could probably look at to see what kind of impact it, it would have. And, you know, even if it's just a psychological one, even if the players are thinking... I mean, Pat Bamford made a few comments about the pitch playing quite slow. Um I think if you have that in the back of your head, it just changes the way that you're playing and you may attempt slightly different things than you might have done if you were not thinking about the pitch and just taking it for granted. So uh, I think that needs to be taken into account as well
0: yeah and i think I think our game going forward particularly in the final third relies on zip and and one and two touch passing working well and i think I think you can you you can see that that was working more effectively against against Everton than it was against brighton and i think that some of that's down to the pitch I just think overall it looked it looked a bit greasy uh, or slippy or whatever and and you know like non no, and <laughs> by no means an expert i mean all the knowledge of of turf. Uh, that I've got comes from when I was ten, when one of my neighbours had their garden returfed and we couldn't walk <laughs> on it for six weeks. So I think I don't think that's particularly relevant at this point. But uh, but it did it did look it did look a bit greasy. But you know we'll see how it settles down. It would be nice to play a home game when there hasn't been two days of constant water falling out of the sky, which I don't which I don't think we've done since Leicester. To be honest, so I think that that's um, since the Leicester home game. So hopefully we'll see some turnaround once it starts to uh, you know once the weather starts to change
2: right we've got to start with the big question then uh this is from daniel Moroni. where does the responsibility lie for the first goal strauk or Phillips or both Phillips should either track run or pass sigurdsson off to cooper slash ailing strauk looked flat-footed and should defend near post much better darren you have the honor of of arguing this
0: okay so i i don't think one individual carries the can for this i think that i think I think primarily it's system-based, but I think within that, some individuals fail to, to do their jobs properly within the system. So as you quite rightly said, um, it starts when Harrison gives away a ball which he's trying to spread spread to the other wing and slips. So there's kind of nothing you can do about that. Um, I think for, for me, the problem starts because uh, Richarlison recycles the ball to Gomez and Dallas, instead of deciding to press Gomez, gets distracted by Dinier's run and starts to follow that run and then doesn't really do either. So he gives he gives Gomez all the time in the world to pick out um to pick out Dinier's run. And it's a fantastic pass. Um then I think I think Rafinha probably isn't quite as quite as like determined to stop the cross coming in as you would hope for him to be, I think. I think the cross is a superb one. I don't think Strike's got any chance of cutting it out. And if he if he does make an attempt to cut it out you know, you can, you can kind of talk about man marking, you can talk about um, zonal marking as part of this, and I'm sure we'll move on to that. But but my view is that because of his body shape, if he does make any attempts to cut it out and, and he gets a touch to it, he probably puts it past Melia in any case. And then I think that in the middle, clearly, there's been a mix up between Cooper and Phillips as to who's picking up um, Sigurdsson and... and and they carry some of the blame as well. And you can also argue that maybe Melier could have come for it, although I don't necessarily think that would have been the correct decision. But I think basically across across the piece, I think you've got six players who all take a small proportion of the blame and no one individual is to blame for the entire thing.
2: Yeah, this caused a little bit of controversy online yesterday. And um, I think it's probably right for me to explain what I was saying as clearly as, as possible. Um, I think that... The issue comes down to um, the fact that the cross is, one, very low percentage, so no one expects a good cross to come in from that position. And uh, I think, two, the part of that comes down to the the man-marking system that we employ. So the original discussion was about whether or not Strauch was involved, and a lot of people seem to be thinking that... Strauch should obviously be marking in a zonal sense in that situation. So, um, I disagree with that, or at least even if he should be, I don't think it's possible for him to actually mark that in a zonal situation on the basis of the fact that he's working in a man marking system. He does everything that he's supposed to do in the man marking system. And then if he is going to move into a zonal situation and, and close off the front post, I don't think he has time to do that. Um, a lot of people got on my back because I s- suggested that this was a system issue. Um, I said if we if we mark if we marked it in a zonal system, that goal would never have happened because we would have had a centre back on the front post and it would have just been cleared out. Um, that doesn't mean to say that I think that we should switch to a zonal system, nor that there wasn't mistakes in the in the man marking system. There was clearly mistakes in the man marking system. Um, another thing that I would add as well is that yes, Phillips and Cooper. Need to track Sigurdsson, but even if they do, I think the level of the ball that is put in, even with a man on him, he's going to have a good chance of scoring that. Um, it's on it's on his favoured foot, I think, or it's at least it's at least coming off across his body in a nice way that, even if the defender gets to it, the defender will be behind the play that they're tracking, and it will be very very difficult for them to cut that that sort of shot out. Um, it would definitely have been a harder shot had there been a player on him. But I do think that he would have had a chance to to have, have scored that as well, um, partly because the ball was was so good. And here's another thing, with, here's another issue with the man-marking system is that when you get into that situation where Dinia is right in the corner, I think the team will have slightly switched off because they will have looked at that situation and said, what's the odds that he's going to put this ball in on a sixpence for Sigurdsson? pretty low there's a player marking him he's pretty much on the corner flag he's left footed so he's going to be swinging it so you're already thinking like what which direction is the ball going to travel it's going to travel from left to right so the corridor that the ball is going to go through is going to be very narrow it's going to be traveling back towards the defensive line um, he's either going to be too close to the keeper and the keeper will pick it up or he'll miss it and it will just go back towards one of the defenders instead he's put in an absolutely perfect ball and I think it's 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 bisected both the keeper and the defender, and the the two central defender defensive players there. So Stroud, uh, Phillips, and Cooper are flat-footed because they just don't expect that ball to come in. Now that's obviously a mistake. It's obviously an issue, and they should they should be expecting the the most least likely thing to happen to happen. Um, but I think it's just a it's just a whole. Concatenation of various events, as you've said, Darren, that that have led to that, and it's meant that Everton have had to do everything perfectly, and Leeds have had to do things ever so slightly, a little bit off. But um, in terms of my original argument, my original argument was simply: if you want, if you want Stroud to be marking as a zonal defender, that's fine. But I think that people expect that to happen because almost all the teams that you're watching, in the top five divisions, there's literally Leeds and Atalanta in in Italy who man mark we spend all of our time watching zonal marking defenders and so we judge that and say well a zonal marking defender would have done that but Strauch is not playing as a zonal marking defender he's playing as a man marking defender so he takes a look back to make sure that he's not um, missed a player who he's tracking Uh, and in so doing you know he just doesn't have the chance to get to the ball so yeah if he was a zonal marking defender he would have probably head in and tried to cover the front post Um, I don't even know if he would have got got there either but um, it would certainly have been a lot closer than it was Um, but I don't think you can blame him for defending as he's been taught to defend um, in that situation. Absolutely. Here endeth the lesson.
0: I think you're right, John. I think I think Strouk's in a pretty difficult situation because if he if he decides to hair to the front post and try cut the cross out, but there's a man coming in behind him which is then found with the ball he's then more culpable for the goal than he eventually becomes as it is because he's scanning and man marking that means he can't get into the position to the front post to cut the cross out in the first place. He's following team instructions um so I think you know you, you can uh, you know if, if you really want to, you can give him a bit of the culpability for the goal, but I think there's a there's a whole gamut of things which happen in an and around that that which which cause it um and i i think yeah you you're right that the quality of the ball from from Dinya um was was so good that that in the end you're not going to cut it out and there's a question later on which kind of touches on this really which is about um which somebody i can't remember who it was but uh, Beg your pardon. With with Luke Ayling being out of position for that first goal as well. Actually, Luke Ayling was following Richarlison, so he was he was precisely in the position that he's supposed to be in, um, which isn't in the right back position in his zonal system. Yeah. So I, I think I think it's really important that 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 we all because you know there the, there was a moment when I thought well where's Ayling and then you think about it and you think well actually what he's doing is he's following his man, which is what is what the system requires of him.
2: One more thing for me um, in that situation too. I think part of the reason why Rafinha is doesn't doesn't defend the cross so well, is partly because I don't think anyone expects the player in that situation to try a cross. I think once you've got the ball under the under under control and you're in that situation, what you'll try and do is hold it up and wait for someone to come in. And I think again, that's another reason why player a player like Pascal Stroud hangs on the edge of the box a little bit because he's expecting the ball to be recycled back to a fullback, uh, or a, or a Richarlison in this case, obviously from the fullback to Richarlison to then have the ball swung in. And so. It's all well and good looking back with hindsight bias, saying he should be expecting that cross in as a as a zonal defender. But I don't think any of them were expecting that cross to come in. Um, and you know, there's. I do think there's. This is this is another weakness of the of the man marking system is that it's really susceptible to like outlier moments. And um, because because you're having to so intelligently read the game when an outlier moment happens, uh, often I think it can throw the team. And and then people can look back and say, well, you know, they they should obviously have expected this very low percentage thing to happen to happen and it didn't and uh and uh, you know and and it did I suppose and uh I I just think it's really really harsh to expect and again the other thing I I mentioned with the Stroud thing is just the timing of it like the balls played at like it it, and then by um Gomez and six seconds later it's in the back of the net that, that is a huge that is a really short amount of time to judge what's going on, track back, think about where your player is, and then read the situation and, and get into a zonal position on the front post. It's 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 all well and good watching it in in a slow mo replay, but I think when I've, I've watched the I've watched the, the clip now over probably about fifty times, I think it's just a horrible horrible situation.
0: Yeah, the sh- the shape on the ball is extraordinary, isn't it? From from Dinya, there's there's kind of. You know, the vast, vast majority of the time from that position, he, he either kind of puts the ball into touch or it drifts harmlessly into the keeper's hands. But just on this one occasion, the shape and the timing and the pace of the ball are all absolutely perfect. And it, I, I don't think there's any such thing as an unstoppable goal. But I think that that in the, from the moment that pass goes from Gomez, you're in a situation where you're right on the back foot and you're in a lot of danger and it's advantage ever it and, and, and whatever comes from it, comes from it.
2: I would advise people to watch the game back from the angle where... The problem, part of the problem, is is that when you watch it in real time, the cameras flick. So they, even the even the cameraman expects the ball to be held up in that corner area. And what happens is that you have the the wide angle view of it going into the corner. It then flicks to the near side corner cameraman, and then the ball is played, and then they have to flick back out as well. So it's really hard to read that. But if you watch some of the replays, you can see the angle of the ball, and the ball is curved, curled in, and it bounces like it bounces really close to the to the line and then curves back in so when by the time by the time you see it with Strout coming across it looks a lot closer to him than I think it ever really is um, it, it's, it's almost like it's an optical illusion because the ball is curving and and when you see the final position where the ball's hit you think how's Strout not got that he, the ball must have gone in a straight line between here and there and he must have been able to catch it out but if you watch where it bounces and that's partly I think why it takes Melier out of the equation as well because it, it it's clearly like a horrible ball in, in terms of where it bounces and spins off the pitch as well so um, I I need to stop talking about this but Joe (laughs) I'll give you a right to reply on this what's your whole take on this whole situation
1: I think the thing that we all have to remember when we're talking about this and when we're bringing up players who may or may not have made a mistake is that everyone you know on Twitter, everyone that's interacted or that I've seen about this, um, we're all just fans and we all just watch the game and, you know, get tactical insight from the game. But none of us actually know what Bielsa is telling the players. None of us know the specific tactical instruction. The the thing that we know with some degree of certainty is that Bielsa doesn't tell his players to manmark a hundred percent of the time relentlessly no matter what situation because there are some situations such as the centre-backs driving out where players need to leave their man and you know put a tackle in and we don't know maybe maybe this situation is one of those situations where Strauk does need to scrap the man marking thing and just try and get to the first ball but we don't know if Bielsa's told him that or not you know it could be that Bielsa's told Strauch, when the ball's in the corner, when Dina has it and he looks like he's swinging cross in, you need to be looking for your man on the edge of the box to mark him, in which case he's done his job perfectly. And, you know, it could be the complete opposite that Bielsa's said, when Dina has the ball because he's top, top quality left back and he can swing in a dangerous ball, you need to cut it out of the near post, in which case Strauss made the mistake. But we just don't know. So I think if if someone has the opinion that it is Strauch's mistake, then... I don't really have a problem with that, but I think we just all need to remember that no one actually knows the tactical instruction that he's received. So, you know, whether we think it's a mistake or not, it's more, it's more down to what Bielsa has told him. And that would give you the answer, whether it's a systematic thing or whether Strouk has actually accidentally gone away from Bielsa's instruction.
2: Well, we should move on anyway, so I think that's a good note as any to, to end on. Let's talk about Ailing. Um, Did Ailing have a bad game? Asks Neil Harding, admitted to fault for the second goal and out of position for the first. Is that just a bit harsh? And Chris Barnford said, Ailing excellent going forward, but without checking back. Am I wrong in thinking our concessions from set plays this season are down to, in most cases, him and Cooper losing their man positionally or physically? Uh, Joe, what do you make of, uh, of Ailing in the game?
1: I thought he had an alright game, to be honest. I thought it was very noble of him to come out and hold his hands up and say he was at fault. And actually, when you when you watch that goal back, you can see he puts his hands on his head straight away and he just knows it's a mistake. I mean, Calvert-Lewin does well to pull away from him, to be fair, and get into that position at the back post. Um, in terms of the, the set pieces thing going forward, I think Ayling and Cooper are obviously our best headers of the ball. And I could be mistaken, but I think they're both around six foot, six foot one. Um so they're not giant, you know, that's that's tall but a lot of center backs in in the Premier League are 6'4 6'5 plus. Um and a lot of the goals that we've conceded um from set pieces have come from players like Van Dijk, um Kurt Zouma, Ogbonna, Suchek for West Ham. Um just good headers of the ball that are probably much taller than Ailing and Cooper. So I think that I think uh, Bielsa thinks Cooper is the best one, so Cooper will be up against the most dangerous man. And then I think Ailing has a real tough job because he's he's he isn't giant, but he'll get pitted against the second best header of the ball in their team, which is often the other centre back that happens to be much taller. So. I think you know he's he's naturally a right back. He's he's not even a centre back. So I think it's maybe a bit unfair to sort of give him too much stick for this. I think his hands are sort of tied in this situation until we you know maybe get get another centre back that happens to be even better than Cooper, or we have two centre backs that are really really strong headers of the ball.
0: I thought Aylin played really well. Um, he he made made a mistake for 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 the second goal, but you know people make mistakes sometimes and and yet it's a crucial moment and uh, you know he just gets drawn to the ball but but basically other than that I thought he was a good is as good as he always is which which makes him just about our best player I think in a lot of situations
2: right moving on let's talk about the 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 general pressing and marking uh, issues that are going on in the game um, Edwards Atterton said the man-to-man marking has seemed less obsessive for the first for the last few games yes our defenders will chase a forward who is back to goal into his own half but there seems to be more zonal marking in the defensive third I think it's an improvement agreed and Dan Holdsworth said it's all about the press for Leeds Leeds have to win the uh, the press battle to stand a chance to win the match agree Everton press leads into submission in the first half the Leeds press steamrolled Everton in the second half Darren what do you make of the press?
0: Yeah so I think I think in the first half we definitely started with a more reserved press and I don't I don't necessarily think of it as been kind of a more zonal way of doing it so much as starting from a deeper starting position so the people you know like the the players are still picking up the same plays that they would have been doing ordinarily but they're starting deeper so that if anybody starts to make a run with the ball that we've got a bit of cover to to make sure that they're running into players um I thought that like I said earlier on I I thought that in my initial watch of the match, I thought Everton had pressed us really high for a long time. Actually, it was the first six minutes of the game and then they kind of really settled back and only really pressed us. Once Said committed men forward on the break and and then we won the ball, that's when they pressed. Other than that, they kind of really sat in a low block for the vast majority of the game, I thought. I thought we did press much more actively in the second half, much more proactively. Um, and that that we were much much quicker in, into into the men, and and I thought that it really worked to a degree. Um, and but the reason it only worked to a degree is because Everton was was were in a much deeper starting position from that point of view. So the there wasn't the space for us to pick through. Like in you know there are there are games where we win the ball high up the pitch, and there were a couple of occasions against Leicester when we did this, and then we were right onto their last last man or last couple of men. But th- this time it just it just wasn't like that. We 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 were running into into five, six, seven players every time. So, um, but I agree that we we pressed much more proactively in the second half than we did in the first. I totally agree with Darren, and I wanted to say a bit about
1: the the man marking. That the first question from Edward, because I do agree with him in that it's it has been a bit less obsessive um, in the last few games and. I think that's you know the problem that we've been speaking about for the past few weeks is the, the centre-backs coming out. We've, we've seen us concede a few goals that way this season and I think that's getting a lot better and I think what we're seeing is Bamford pressing slightly, with slightly less intensity to the two centre-backs and then we're seeing Harrison come in and help him out in that area and also Dallas and they all seem to be much more careful about leaving their men And about going towards the man with the ball Um, I noticed it quite a few times in the game uh, on Wednesday that you could see players with their arms out like Harrison did it loads where he, he was leaving his man and he was really careful to check back make sure he had cover before he moved away from his man and press the centre back with the ball and I think obviously you know Bielsa's noticed that and he's made a slight tactical tweak in that sense and uh, I I really like the way that it's heading because it it just shows you know when when people watch us and they say oh you know Leeds are done for Leeds are getting relegated if they play this man marking it just shows that you can make a few slight tactical tweaks and improve it vastly so I think going forward you know if we can keep making little tweaks here and there then I feel quite good about the man marking
0: system overall. I think we're commit we're committing fewer we're not committing the eights into the press as much as we were we we are using Harrison much more effectively to do that and and I I think he's you know he's one of our most effective players in that sort of role because because he, he seems to be absolutely tireless. He's very quick. He's very explosive, and I think he does put put their backline under a lot of pressure when he decides to go. And I think that's the key point: is that that they are making decisions as to when to go and when to kind of be a bit more reserved and to kind of um, yeah to. to I guess to kind of just sit back that little bit more, you know, that that starting position of a bit deeper. But but yeah, I think that that is a really key thing as well for me is that we are using someone who's actually very effective in the press as as one of the key press triggers.
2: Yeah, I would say, I do disagree. I don't think it's more zonal marking, um, Edward. I think it's, it is man marking because we're orientated to men rather than zones. Uh, the question is, you know, where are we? One of the things we've talked about is how Leeds maybe hold back from jumping in quite so much. I think maybe, for example, Phillips in particular, I think jumps in maybe a little less than he did. I, th- I can think of a few goals this season which have come from Phillips jumping in tight in his man. There was one against Fulham where he jumped in against Anguisa. Um, and Anguisa was just able to turn him quite easily. So I think we're, we're a little less... We're still obviously close to our men, but I think we're a little less likely to just sort of jump in um, if if there's space already there. Um, I, we're still pressing, but I think there's been a little bit of a, a drop off there. It certainly was against Leicester. Whether or not Bielsa didn't, decided it wasn't really working in, against Everton and, and tried to make it a little bit more intense in the second half, I don't know. But um, I do think that, that I do feel as though we are a little bit happier now to rather than push forward and try and engage the forward press. Um, in the, the opposition half, I think we're maybe even a little bit happier just to let the centre back come forward and then try and cut it out in midfield areas. Um, yeah, and so I think that maybe is coming into it a little bit as well. Um, but let's move on. Uh, there's now a few. I think just a few. Let's ask three questions about three players before we move on to the preview. I realise time's going on, but um, three players. One is click. Uh, one is uh, Costa and one is Pablo Hernandez. So, Mickey P. has my is Click good enough to play eight in the Premier League question a few weeks ago being vindicated? Since I asked, he's been dropped twice and sub today, although he did okay. For me, a quality replacement in that area is key. And uh, JP LUFC says, do you think Click has found his level? Didn't look at the races again tonight. Surely we'd look to strengthen in the summer if Rodrigo isn't the long-term replacement. So, Darren, what do you make of that?
0: You cannot argue that Click is playing well. At the moment, I think I think he he does look like he's some way off his best. I wouldn't want to speculate about what the reasons for that are, you know. um, But you but you can kind of you can kind of think, well, he, he's he's played a lot. Is he carrying an injury? You know, is he just a bit kind of, a bit worn out or whatever and, and, and everything. But what I would be reluctant to do, I think, is I'd be reluctant to read meaning into a player having a dip in form along the lines of that, therefore that means that he's not good enough. Um, because I think every player goes through, through ups and downs and at the moment clicks in a relatively poor um, spell of form. Um, so... But that doesn't take away from 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 mickey's point that that we've we've kind of said for a long time that we need further reinforcements in the midfield to take a bit of pressure off click i think um so yeah i he he's in a poor run, I anticipate that he'll improve. Um, but I, I also think we need to think a little bit about what what role he's been asked to do in the team because because we we see players, don't we, take on different you know kind of interpret roles differently. So when we see Tyler Roberts come on to play in that midfield role, for example, we see him picking the ball up deep and driving it, and that's never really been the way that Clicks played the game. Um, so I, th- I think it's it's a bit it's a bit difficult to kind of assess really. Uh, Where he is, but what I will say is that a lot of passes I expect expect him to make are going astray. We're seeing more touches, more poor touches, than we ordinarily would, and he kind of looks like he's on the periphery of the game a lot more than than we're kind of used to seeing. And I I think those those are concerning things.
2: Joe, I'm going to ask you about uh, Helder Costa. So Casper says, can we have an opinion on what Helder Costa now has to offer? Is he weakening our subs bench?
1: it would be a bit harsh to say he's weakening our subs bench because uh, you know you're you're allowed nine players on the bench now i believe and uh, i wouldn't take him off it for for an under 23s player for example that isn't on the bench currently um he he has really looked out of form since rafinha came into the team and came into a starting place and often that's just a mentality thing that you know he 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 can't get around the fact that rafinha just looks brilliant every single game near enough And he struggles to make an impact with 10, 15 minutes, you know, coming on off the bench. And I think he only came on at 88th minute or something like that um, on Wednesday. So we can't really judge him on five or six minutes. But um, I guess the short answer is I'd still keep him on the bench because, you know, it's just another playing card to have up your sleeve. And I think he's still better than lots of the 23s who may or may not be making the bench.
2: And then finally, um, we all love Leeds says, lads, I hate to say this and you know we all do, but is Pablo still an impact sub against a poor Newcastle? Fair game. But as we saw today, a few misplaced passes and it seemed he dropped way too deep and didn't create much. I hate myself for saying this. Thanks. Um, yeah, Joe, what do we what do we make of Pablo?
1: Oh, it just makes me so sad to see this question and just to try and answer it because he's done so much for us. Um, and I sort of really don't want to admit that he's he's done for you know I want to see him play one last time and I want to see him work his magic and this could just be that it's a dip in form and I think everyone is praying that you know the past few games when he's not looked at his best it is just a dip in form but obviously he's getting slightly older um and I think that's a factor with Tyler Roberts coming on um over him most games now um but I'm I'm confident that we can still see a little bit of magic um, in him before the season's over, and I think that would be a great sort of signing off for the Leeds fans, as we can you know get get a worldie or get a brace or you know just something
0: magical, and uh, and hopefully we're gonna we're gonna see that before the season ends. I think it was Gordon Strachan that said if you're under 30 and you have a bad game you're shy if you're over 30 and you have a bad game you're finished um, I, I I wouldn't read too much into it I, I, he's obviously not going to be a starter anymore he's, he's going to be someone who, who plays at, at the end of games to try and change things or to try settle things down and I still think he's very much got a role in that even on on, on Wednesday night against Everton there were a couple of superb little passes that he played, a couple of little bits and pieces that he did that were, that were, that were classic Pablo but what's also so a classic Pablo is trying to force things and giving the ball away in dangerous situations and and i I wouldn't read him doing that i wouldn't read uh I wouldn't read into it that he's finished the fact because of the fact that he's given away a couple of balls in dangerous areas because ever since the day he walked through the door he's done that um and you know we've been seeing his pablo finished type stuff since since a long time obviously he's a lot nearer to the end of the of his career than he is at the start, but I still think he's got something to offer in the correct situation.
2: One final thing on this. This is the first time in Pablo's career really where he's had to fight for his place in a team, um, for for well, since he was young, right? And um I think that's a, a novel situation for him to be in. So no doubt that's a difficult situation to be in as well. So, you know, those those sorts of performances like he put in against Everton just to me strike me as someone trying to impress and trying to do stuff that, that will get him back into favor and um, uh, again I think that uh, gives you a sort of context within which to, to understand what, um, what is going on with Pablo
0: Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds At Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does They charge you a lot, we charge you a little So naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you
2: Let's move on to the Palace preview. I realise time is running on. So this week I was lucky enough to talk to Ruben Pinder, who works for Joe and Football Joe. And this is what he had to say about Palace.
3: So Ruben, hi, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks, John. Yourself?
2: Yeah, I'm doing well. I think we should be both fairly happy with with where our clubs are at the moment. So uh, hopefully this won't be too
3: painful an interview. (laughs) Are we happy with where we are? It's it's tricky because after that 7-0 against Liverpool, after that loss against West Ham we've taken the lead and then let it go Um, you'd think that we would be happy looking at the league table but if you if you look at some if you watch us play and then you see the reaction afterwards to some games um, it's not it's not good I think people are just they just want you know it's a time at the moment where everybody wants a bit of hope Mm -hmm. and the escapism with football has often provided people with hope but watching Palace does not provide you with hope (laughs) so um it's frustrating but yeah we're basically safe now so you know hopefully things will get a bit more exciting next season though that's uh a whole another big issue what with a lot of contract situations um contracts Mm -hmm. running out and stuff so yeah i mean satisfied but not in uh not enthralled let's say
2: um and on top of that i suppose you have come into this game off the back of two important wins against wolves and newcastle we talked about this earlier in the season but is this about palace winning the games that they have to win and then you've mentioned those those losses against uh, you know liverpool and and those are the sorts of results i suppose that in the same way that leeds are you know you kind of look back on some of the poorer results we've had this season and think well i'd rather have poorer results against those teams, um, I'm, I'm happy to sort of let it slip um, as long as we're winning those games that, that we need to win.
3: Yeah, it's not always been the way we do things. As I mentioned last time, I think we, uh, we've we tended to beat the big teams and lose to the little ones, but especially like when it's backs against the wall, um, the season that Big Sam kept us up, we beat Chelsea, Arsenal and Liverpool and Liverpool Amfield, Anfield, which was that game that has, mm. was, was the record for so long before Burnley uh, broke it recently. But... Um, yeah, I mean, so we, we, we lost 4-0 to City not too long ago, but that's just, that's kind of a write-off. I, don't, I didn't even bother watching most of that game. So just as soon as the first goal goes in, you're like, right, yeah, I know how this, I know how this goes. Um, but yeah, uh, beating Sheffield United 2-0, that was a big one. Um, beating Wolves, which I didn't really expect. Like, I know Wolves have been a bit iffy recently, but I didn't expect us to uh, to beat them. But, you know, happy days. Great goal from Eze. And Newcastle, again, when Shelby scored in the second minute, I thought we're going to lose to Steve Bruce's Newcastle because <laughs> I, I, I think that's one of um. I don't have the exact numbers to hand, but we do not have good stats in terms of going a goal behind and coming back to win. Mm. Um, but I was I was impressed with how we bounced back from that early, um early goal yesterday. So, yeah, I mean, we've we've beaten most of the teams that we should beat i suppose there's a very important game runner games coming up next so we've got we've got Leeds, obviously burnley brighton fulham so those four games we re- we really should be getting like at least you'd hope two wins out of those minimum um but who knows uh palace are a very weird and unpredictable team with
2: all of that in mind what sort of finishing position do you expect from palace this time around
3: where are we 13th yeah um 14th probably (laughs) (laughs) it's just where we finish every year um i think our i think our record highest is 10th or 11th and um all in all this in in all of the seasons that we've stayed up since 2013 14 probably lowest is probably 16th so yeah um Lovely, warm, cosy 14th. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, I mean, we did talk about this last time, but it does sound as though Palace fans are getting a bit fed up of, of mid-table mediocrity. Um, is it is it no longer just good enough to stay in the league? Is,
3: is the more ambition needed? Yeah, and I feel like, well, for me anyway, part of that boils down to the fact that Zaha has kind of missed his window to get a big move, and I don't think he will get one now, which is a little bit unfortunate for him because he's, he's a very good player and could do much better than us. But if we're going to keep him, um, not against his will, but, you know, if, if we're going to keep him for all this time, can we at least try to help him play some good football? Mm. Um, and obviously, fine, you know, clubs think in terms of finances, staying in the Premier League has to be the priority for them. So they, so they play very safe football. You know, they hire a cautious manager, etc. But um, I don't think there's, there's any reason why we couldn't actually be a bit more expansive and push higher up the table um yeah. the only problem i guess is the aging squad which with contract situations as well is going to become a big issue because i mean like you look at our lineup yesterday our entire back four i think well back five including the keeper i think nathaniel climbs probably the youngest one there and we've got scott dan and gary Cahill who centre back both of whom are like 35 so it's like it's a bit of a concern in that sense but um it's it's not necessarily to do with style it's more to do with how the team responds to certain events so the fact that we just retreat into two banks of four and can never put our foot on the ball and dominate a spell of possession really um it's that sort of thing that that has got fans a little bit fed up but you know um as i say the clubs are going to think in terms of safety first um and we can hope that in next season or two that team evolves a bit um, into something more but I won't hold my breath
2: (laughs) it's it's weird isn't it because I guess with hindsight bias you look at the table and you think Fulham West Brom and Sheffield United are becoming adrift at the bottom of the table Mm. what's the worst that could happen if if a team like Crystal Palace were a bit more expansive and did go for it a bit more would would they surely this a season like this where you've got teams like that in the league you can risk playing that kind of expansive football right?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, if there was ever a time to do it, it would be now for sure. Um, it's just, a bit, I mean, it's not really in Hodgson's nature to, especially in the middle of a season, kind of overhaul a start. But I mean, he doesn't have to overhaul it. He can just play Eze through the middle and, you know, try to keep the ball on the ground a little bit more. Like that's all we're really asking for. Um, it's not, it, it's not um, reinventing the wheel. Or you know, playing Mateta, who was just signed. I think th- like we played three different strikers against Newcastle and Mateta stayed on the bench for the whole game. So just a little bit more adventure is basically all we're asking for. We're not asking for Hodgson to turn into Bielsa overnight and adopt this mental man-marking system. Just play a number 10 and, you know, don't don't hoof the ball aimlessly as much. It would be great.
2: So what do you think the biggest challenge is going to be for you in the second half of the season?
3: Good question. Uh, wrapping up contracts, to be honest. I think on the pitch we look, you know, as I've said, bit dull but safe enough um, it's it's just kind of we, we have to evolve the squad and I don't think it's really doable in one transfer window so there's a lot of players around the age of 30 whose contracts are running out I think Schlupp Van Arnholt, Townsend maybe um, Batshuayi is obviously just alone loan um, and Hodgson's contract and all of his staff as well expires in the summer so the club need to come up with a plan as to how to um, Sort of smooth over that transition Um, on the pitch, I guess. Get Will fit again because he picked up an injury yesterday. Um, And ideally, use this little safety cushion that we've got to try to get Jean-Philippe Mateta scoring some goals. That'd be good because if we spend the rest of the season playing, you know, a misfiring Batchuaye and you know a Benteke who can't really move, instead of the guy that we've brought in on a on a long, I think it's an eighteen month loan with like an obligation to buy. So. Yeah, try try and embed him into the team, really, would be what I would be focusing on. Because as you say, there's not a 15-point gap between 18th and uh, and us. So,
2: yeah. What did you make of the last game between these two sides, uh, Leeds and and Palace?
3: Well, I remember telling you that I was terrified of playing Leeds (laughs) and then we won 4-1. So, obviously, I was a bit surprised. But it was one of them games where um, little things went our way and that kind of... And then the scoreline flattered us. Like, obviously, Bamford's disallowed goal let's not get into VAR but Jesus Christ um, Helder <laughs> Costa scored that OG didn't they were from like deflecting Van Aanholt's mm. crossing that was unlucky things like that they happened. and obviously Eze scores a free kick which you know maybe 9 times out of 10 doesn't go in what but what a goal it was mm. um but on the whole I was quite impressed with how we dealt with sort of Leeds' intensity I think yeah. man for man like Leeds probably have more quality in attack um but we've probably got more quality across the across the defense, probably. Um, obviously, like Bielsa's coaching for players like Ayling and Dallas, who otherwise would be quite bog standard, you know, he's kind of turned them into something different. But um, I think, yeah, we more or less all over the pitch, the quality kind of made up. Uh, we kind of matched, the, uh, both teams matched each, matched each other in terms of quality. So mm. I was impressed with how we dealt with, Leeds intensity as I say and um, I guess Hodgson was aware that there would be quite a lot of space to play through and it, like it's a bit risky but you know the the amount of bodies that flood forward when Leeds attack um, if you can then exploit that space going the other way um, then yeah and it worked and obviously I, I thought that he was going to play Schlupp, um, and then I think Schlopp was injured and he played Eze mm. um, who was really good and now Eze has kind of become undroppable so um, he will be he'll be important because uh, before that he wasn't really a, a guaranteed starter. Mm. But um, yeah, I was just basically to answer your question, I was very surprised by the previous result between the two teams.
2: Yeah, um, Eze, I mean, Eze was great, and um, Leeds have been. Cause problems by players like Eze who can go very direct and, and run out of them so it'll be really interesting to see how uh, we cope with him this time around but in terms of the tactics this time around do you think we'll see anything different from Hodgson um, because like you said he definitely got the tactics right last time and also just pressing in wide areas I thought you did really well if if teams can, can sort of break us down in our build up play in wide areas we, we look pretty toothless and I think you did that pretty well too.
3: Hopefully he plays Nathaniel Klein and Van Arnholt because their energy I think it's quite important in that sense, especially when it turned, well when it comes to chasing the other way. When when the ball goes into you know Harrison or Rafinha, we we'll need that pace as well. Um, I think oh, so against West Ham. Was it against West Ham? He 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 seemed to play. No, it was against Wolves when Eze scored mm. um, the other day. He he played a four two three one, so he moved Eze inside and put Zaha back on the left. Um, and it worked because they like Will still drifted it drifted inwards and Eze still drifted out to the left. But it was a lot more. We just had an extra body in the midfield when we were trying to pass through teams, so that that helped. So I think he might do that. But then it's a question of does he trust Zaha to track back enough, or does he tell him not to? And therefore, when when Leeds bomb forward, we've got you know a a quick outlet for the counter attack. So I think. I think he might if he goes four two three one then he kind of plays into the man marking system it just makes it very easy for for Leeds to to pick a man each um so in that sense he could go back to four four two and have two center backs your two center backs against our two strikers to try and um sort of limit the build up play and then have zahar and whoever plays next to him pushing out wide to to close down your full backs as well so yeah, I'm not hundred percent sure to be honest it's uh it will be what it, I could I could probably name you the eleven, but the the shape is um, not as clear. You've
2: already mentioned Eze, and uh, Leeds Leeds fans will know a lot about Eze after coming across him in the Championship. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of Leeds fans would quite like it if we'd have signed him. Um, <laughs> but how are you feeling about his season so far? You've already mentioned he's become undroppable, but have you been impressed with him?
3: Yeah, he's done really well. I think um, I think credit to Hodgson, to be fair, he's kind of uh, brought him in not not too slowly, but like at the right. Sort of level, he you know brought him off the bench um, a few times, and then gave him the occasional start. And then he he did so well that he he ended up making Hodgson play Jeff Schlapp on the right wing because he wanted because he, he wanted to drop Townsend and play as a Zaha and schlop So he had to play Schlapp on the right, which was pretty weird. But um, that's how well he was performing. Um, he scored a few goals, most of them really good, if not all of them really good. I think the long dribble against Sheffield United was an excellent goal, some terrible defending, but it kind of shows you what he's all about. That kind of, he just kind of glides past players and, um, the one against Wolves as well, just, it shows that he's really so switched on, uh, like that quick thinking to just drop the shoulder and open up a little bit of space. Um, so yeah, he's been really good and he's done something that we haven't really had since Yannick Belasi left for Everton. We, he, he's a dribbler who can take a bit of attention off Zaha. Um, it means teams don't double up on Zaha as much. It means he's got someone to combine with, um, which we haven't really had, you know, especially last season when we were playing a sort of defensive four-three-three with, you know, Benteke and Ayu kind of too far away from Zaha to combine at all uh, often. So Eze's been a real breath of fresh air in the team and for 18 million, um, looks like a pretty good deal, I think.
2: Well, let's talk about the logistics of the game on, on Monday. How are you looking injury-wise at the moment?
3: Jeff Schlapp is still out long-term. Unfortunately, um, much more seriously, Wilfred Zaha picked up an injury against Newcastle. He will have to be assessed, Roy Hodgson says. It looked like a, a hamstring, not not the worst hamstring injury, but he was hobbling and decided that he needed to come off. So he's almost certainly not going to play... But we, we we can we can hope like we we don't know how bad it is yet. Um, hopefully, I mean we we're, we're more concerned about the Brighton game, I'm hoping that he's fit for that than the Leeds game. But if he's not, then you know Asai can play on the wing, and I guess Townsend can come back in. But uh, fingers crossed that he's fit.
2: So, how do you think you'll line up on Monday then?
3: Okay, so it, it, let's exclude Zahar, assuming he's injured. Guita and in Goal Klein at right back. Maybe Kuyate coming back in. At centre-back next to Dan. And Van Arnholt at left-back. Midfield two of probably Luka Milivojevic and Gyro Riedewald. Again, Gyro was brilliant against Newcastle. Um, and he's really comfortable on the ball uh, under pressure, which is obviously going to be something that he has to face against Leeds. And then if Zaha's not fit, probably Eze wide left, Townsend wide right and... Are you and Batshuayi up front together?
2: And the question I always ask: Which players on Palace's team need to perform well if they're to beat Leeds?
3: Well, you tell me. I don't know. I mean, the centre backs need to be need to not cock up when they've got the ball at their feet because that's what because Bamford is very good at pressing two centre backs. That's yeah, like the whole the main reason he's in the team is because he's got the energy mm. to press two players. So yeah, Dan and Kiarte or whoever plays at centre back need to need to stay calm and um, don't. Dither with the ball, um, and in Zaha's absence, Eze will need to step up. Um, and I mean, it seems optimistic. Batchuay needs to play better than he has been. Like he, I think he's got one goal all season. It was against it was a consolation goal against West Ham. And if we're gonna if we're gonna score, we need one of our front two to play well. Really. So yeah, I would I would say a, a performance from Batchuay would would <laughs> help us beat Leeds.
2: And what about Leeds players? Who are you particularly worried about?
3: Bamford, as, as usual. I mean, I've never been that much of a Bamford fan until this season, really. Um, it's obviously, like a lot of people, have my doubts about his ability to do it in the Prem, having had him on loan a few years ago. Um, but he's, you know, he's been excellent uh, for Leeds this season. So, yeah, he, he worries me, especially after that goal that he scored that was disallowed last time, because. There's no way it should have been disallowed. It was it was a perfectly legit goal. Um, Jack Harrison. I say this to a lot of people. I'm a huge <laughs> Jack Harrison stan. I think he's he's amazing. And if if the competition wasn't so um, fierce, he he would be in the England squad as a winger. Um, I'm convinced he's got such a good cross, and I think he's going to cause Klein quite a lot of problems. But I'm also quite confident that Klein will. He's got he, Klein's got the pace and the the defensive now to sort of. Do quite well against him, but Harrison is is Harrison and Rafinha basically your front three. They <laughs> they, they all worry me, <laughs> especially with Van Aanholt's tendency to go for a little wander. Um, so yeah, th- those three I'm I'm a bit worried about. But as I say, um if we played that back four with Klein, especially, I think you know if Joel Ward plays, then I'll, I'll I'll not be optimistic. But if Klein plays, I think we might be able to handle it.
2: Uh, and as I always say I don't ever ask for predictions but I am interested in how you expect the game to go on Monday how do you think the ebb and flow of the game will, will pan out
3: well I got this I was way off the mark last time so it's it's difficult to predict it's difficult to predict Leeds will obviously have more of the ball um, and we will obviously look to look to hit them on the counter so you know I think there'll be there'll, there'll be goals in it it's definitely not going to be nil-nil um but I worry that if Zaha's not ready to, to play, then we won't have as much of a threat going forward. So yeah, I would, I would, I, I expect Leeds to dominate and us to threaten on the counter. But you, I reckon you'll probably edge it. I know you didn't ask for a prediction, but there you go.
2: <laughs> well, Reuben, it's always a great pleasure to chat to you. How is the best way for people to follow the stuff that you're putting out at the moment?
3: Follow me on Twitter at Ruben Pinder and follow the Football Joe account as well while you're at it, at Football Joe. Cool. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you very much, John.
2: So that was Ruben Pinder of Joe and Football Joe. Let's start with you, Joe. Speaking of Joes, what did you make of Ruben?
1: The biggest one that most people will be thinking about is, is the Zaha thing. Um, we'll find out in the next, well, maybe by the time this, this podcast is out or maybe in the 24 hours after that, whether Zaha fit enough to play. But I just wonder whether he whether Crystal Palace can pose the same threat without Zaha. I mean, they have um, Eze, who has looked really, really good the last few games. I mean, uh, Ruben, Ruben touched on it a fair bit and just the goals that he's scored and the impact that he's having on the team. Um, has been amazing, but I do just struggle to think how they're going to get any any threat outside of Eze. You know, we're we're obviously going to dominate possession, like Ruben said, um, without sounding too overconfident. I really think this is a game that we can pin Crystal Palace back, and if if we just take Eze out of the game, if I'm I'm assuming it might be Phillips marking him if Eze's a number ten, um, then I think we can pretty much nullify the the their whole threat. Um, you know, maybe that's a bit overconfident, but. Yeah, I just really struggle to see how they're going to create without Zaha, to be honest.
2: What do you make of that, Darren? Do you think that Eze is just going to come in? I, I've mentioned in our YEP column this week that Palace have been playing in a four-two-three-one recently. I think as a bid to sort of get Eze and and Zaha in the same team. Um, I know that they've they can play Eze as a as a wide left player and then Zaha as a as a forward, but I think that does get a little bit too. Um they're two similar in, in sort of similar areas and they, they sort of get under one another's feet. Um uh, so the four two three one was sort of designed to have Eze more central and um and Zahar out wide with Eze dropping out wide and uh Eze um yeah, Eze drop, dropping out wide and Zahar coming more central. So what do you make of it? Do you think we'll do you think it'll go back to the four four two and just stick Eze out there and play two forwards, or how do you think he will get around that?
0: Yeah, it's 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 difficult to predict, and 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 you know, uh, Ruben didn't necessarily seem all that sure either. But but what I would say is is that that the idea of Zaha being out, um, obviously, is, is very appealing because I think if you've got one player of that sort. Um, and and they're exactly the sort of player that we struggle against. Someone who can create a yard, someone who can drive at the back line, someone who can beat a man. Then I think I think if you've got one to manage, that's that's obviously much easier than it is if you've got that kind of mul- mul- multiple threats of, of people that are able to do that. Um, I, I suppose yeah, I suppose for me it's it, the the key to it will be managing the you know the players that Palace have that that have got individual skill and you know Andros Town Andros Towns to a degree is able to do that. Zaha is is superb at doing that as it is superb at doing that. So I think that that will really be the key to the game from a defensive point of view is making sure that we don't leave ourselves exposed. And I suppose thinking about the first game some the question that came up for me from from Ruben's preview was that in in the first Palace game I think it was the first time this season really where it became abundantly clear how to how to manage leads from a defensive point of view so making sure that that, that we're not able to tra- to transition making sure that you us out wide. Uh, and and kind of box us in and, and I I'm just really interested to see how we manage that differently this time from, from the way we did last time because although we were beaten 4 1, you know, my view is that we did you know that we in, in inverted commas deserved to come away with more, you know, with, with something from the game. But but the the reason we didn't is because we didn't manage those transitions well. Um so I, I'm really kind of interested to see how we've developed as a team against a a, a kind of fairly tactically predictable you know the formation is one thing but in terms of their approach palace are not going to really vary their approach very much from 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 game to game um so i'd be really interested to see how how we manage that and and whether we can manage to get through into 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 dangerous areas on our transitions more often than we did in the previous game
2: and i think a lot of this will come down to the structural question so um the 442 that palace play basically forces us to play 3313 f- which we have talked about as being not very suitable for Leeds at the moment. Uh if they play a 4231 we'll come out with a 44141 which we all agree is probably the best system we have particularly in terms of our pressing. And I think that's where it falls down. We we're particularly bad pressing against back threes at the moment. Whether or not if we do face a 442 that means that um we we will press in a slightly different way in the forward areas I don't know but um in terms of the in terms of the four one four one versus the three three one three, surely it's the the we would prefer the the four four one four one in this game, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because we you know we we do struggle when we uh, when we play in the three three one three, and I think one of the reasons that we would struggle particularly at the moment in that formation is because it would force us to play Luke Aileen as a centre back rather than as rather than in that slightly more advanced position. So um, because that. Whilst I'm perfectly happy to see Pascal Strauch plays the, the right-handed cent- right-sided handed right centre-back in a two, I think it would be a bit of a stretch for him to play that in a three. Um, so, yeah, I, th- that's one of the reasons. So, yeah, absolutely, if if, if Palace play the, the 4-2-3-1, I'd, I'd be much happier from that point of view. But I suspect that for that reason that they might play the 4-4-2 because I think Roy Hodgson's quite smart and he will know he will know that Leeds struggle more when we're forced to play in the 3-3-1-3 formation.
2: I've just seen that Zaha is out for Monday, so there won't Super. be Zaha in the team. Um, Joe, let's go to you. If we play the 3-3-1-3, how do you expect us to line up personnel-wise?
1: I think the the good thing about going into this game is that with either lineup, we can pretty much use the same personnel. Um, and that just speaks so highly of the versatility of the players that Bielsa has, uh, you know, Bielsa has given them. Um, but we can have Cooper, Strouk and Ailing as the centre backs. Um, Dallas, Aleoski wing backs. Phillips, Holding, Click as the one, and then the front three exactly the same: Harrison, Bamford, Rafinha. Um, and obviously the 4-1-4-1 4-1 plays out the way it has been doing um, in the previous games. So I think it's I think it's good that um, the team, the expected team lineup, could easily line up in a 3-3-1-3, whereas in in some games it's been a bit of a headache about are we going to bring in Shackleton who's going to play where and I think this game it pretty much just plays itself no matter what formation
0: Shackleton's a sort of headache I'd want to see I have to say yeah
1: (laughs) well yeah exactly so that's not even that's not even a bad thing to be honest and uh, we haven't really mentioned Shackleton I'd like to see a bit more of him um, in the games going forward to be honest Um, but that's that's beside the point I don't don't really mind seeing Ailing as the third centre-back personally um because I think between him and Strouk, they can both drive up the pitch and they can break the press very well. Um, so either way, I don't think I'm feeling too negative about it this week.
2: Yeah, I suppose in that respect, the the 3 would solve our centre back problem at the moment. Um, in terms of in terms of the the forward lineup, then. Would you be happy with Click going into the, the sort of 10 spot in the three three one three, 3 Darren or uh, do you think we might even see someone like Tyler Roberts a bit of an outsider um, preferred in that spot?
0: I suspect we will see Click uh, in in that role um, because although Bielsa seems to trust Roberts coming from the bench I think it's actually quite rare that, that, he, that he does trust him for a start. I, I would like to see uh, Tyler Roberts start though to be honest. Um, if only to watch Twitter blow up with the usual parade of bullshit that it does any time he comes on the pitch. Um, no, I'm 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 a fan of of Roberts. I think this is the sort of game where he could do damage because he he can, he can pick up the ball and he can he can he can run with it from from deeper positions, which is something that that, that I think we miss and, and deeper central positions, which I think is something we particularly struggled with in in the previous game. So um, I suspect we'll see click, but I'd I'd be perfectly happy to see Tyler Roberts there.
2: What about the four one four one then? How would we look in that formation, Darren?
0: Yeah, it would be uh it would be exactly the same, I suspect, as as we started against Everton. So Melier, uh Ailing Cooper, uh, Alioski, um Rafinha, Click, Phillips, Dallas and Harrison and then Bamford up top. Right.
2: Let's talk about managing Eze. How are we going to manage Eze? Presumably, if Eze is playing in a forty-three-one as the ten, it will just be Phillips on him. Um, do you think they'll be tempted, uh, as a result of that, with Zaha out, to maybe move Eze out to the left and, and have him a little bit more dangerous down the left-hand side? In which case, uh, in the four-two-four-four-two, then he would be sort of hitting the hitting the outside centre back and the and in behind the wing back as well. Um, Joe, what would what would you what would you think would be the best way of dealing with managing Eze?
1: I think it's likely that he'll be playing on the left wing. I think that's what Ruben mentioned in his predicted lineup um with Ayu and Bachsrai up front as the two strikers. Um so obviously we'll all be keeping an eye out for that to to work it out um, when the lineups come out. But um I don't uh, if he's if he's playing as a 10 then Phillips is going to be on him um which obviously Phillips is a, is a great player and I think that Phillips can do a job on him um, if he has a good game, and if he's playing wide left, then you'll have, like you say, a combination of the right centre back, which will be Ailing presumably, and the wing back, which will be Dallas, who are both. uh, Oh, sorry, no, it will be Dallas, yeah. Um, So they're both great defensive players. You know that we can see that between them, um, they could probably do a job on Eze as well. So you you know, I I think it's it's just about keeping him quiet this game. I think we just really have whoever's going to be man marking him has to do a fantastic job and actually I'd probably prefer to have him on that left wing because like you say then we've sort of got two players that could potentially double
0: up on him so we'll see. If he starts from the left he's not, he's not going to be constantly trying to pull Phillips out out of position as well which I think is it would, which would be another advantage.
2: With that in mind who would you say needs to play well Joe for Leeds?
1: Well we've already mentioned whoever's marking Eze needs to play well so that combination of Phillips, Dallas and Ailing they'll all be needing to play well from a defensive point of view. And then from an offensive point of view, I think I'd love to see Rafinha have another great game. I think he's been fantastic. I think Van Arnholt is there to be to be got at, especially because Van Arnholt, like uh, Ruben was mentioning, can get caught out of position, um, which would allow Rafinha loads of space to run into. So I think between Rafinha and Bamford, um, those two could really be big goal threats for us. So that those two from an attacking point of view for me
0: i'd say the left sided unit um of Alyoski and Harrison are going to need to play well because I think they exposed our weaknesses quite well there in the previous game and um I thought Harrison was notab- notably poor in the first game and, and gave away a couple of really silly balls in key areas so I think we we're, we're going to need to make sure that that we we retain the ball well down the left as we have been doing recently in all fairness I think Harrison's been playing quite well uh, from that point of view and um and make sure that we don't get trapped in in their in their little uh their little in their in their press and in the wide areas.
2: Let's talk about how the game's gonna pan out. How do you see it going, Darren?
0: Um I think it will be an uncomfortable Leeds win. I think we'll dominate a lot of I think we'll dominate the ball as we as we as we usually tend to do. I think um I think Palace will, will, will come and sit deep much more than they did in the, in the home leg like of the fixture. Um, I think we're just going to need to just kind of make sure that we mind our business in, in transition and, and make sure that we don't give away stupid balls and uh, make sure that we um, don't take, you know, really undue risks in areas that could really hurt us. Um, so I, I suspect that it'll be, it'll be a frustrating and difficult watch, but I think we will come out on top in the end. How about you, Joe?
1: Yeah, I agree with Darren. I think this is almost going to be a vintage Bielsa performance <laughs> in that we're we're going to be dominating possession quite a lot. I can see us having over 60, 65 percent ish. Um, I think we're going to have lots of chances. I think we're just going to have to be wary of set pieces um, because Crystal Palace can easily nick a goal. And if it's nil-nil at half time, you know the the, the classic thing um, that they'll be trying to nick one. Um, but having said that, I am fairly confident um, this week. I, I think we will get the win. Um, and I'd love, I'd love to see it by a couple of clear goals because I think particularly without Zaha, like we've mentioned, this Palace team are pretty much there for the takings. So fingers crossed.
2: Well, there you have it. There's mm-hmm. the all we well, I guess it's Everton Review and Palace Preview. So uh, hopefully this that will be a fun game on Monday. If you can't wait until then to have more of our content in your ears and you're in luck, you can head over to our... Patreon channel and uh, check out some of the bonus material that we've got up there I've got a um, breakdown of the Leicester game up there, as a video analysis of the tactics which is quite fun and yesterday Josh and I spoke to Carlon Carpenter of the Stats Bomb about just the man marking system in general we had a good hour chat just about the various aspects of man marking that often come up in this podcast so if either of those two things sound interesting to you head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats on we and with that we arrive at the end of the podcast and all that there is for me to do is to say thank you joe cheers and thank you darren oh thank you very much and we'll see you next tuesday where we'll be back with a palace review